Good morning, church. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to have fun. We're going to praise this morning. Let's go.
Trust in you, Jesus. Oh, 
and never leaves you, never forsakes you. Amen. Let's give one more shout of praise this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, go ahead and greet those around you. Say hi, smile to someone, and you can be seated. Well, good morning, church. It is good to worship with you this morning. My name is Christopher Glotzbach, and I am one of the 180 pastors here. That's our youth program, our 7th through 12th graders. And the Lord has been doing so much through our church. And so if you haven't had an opportunity yet to check in, we want to encourage you to do that. And if you've forgotten, like I do almost every week, I want to encourage you to download the Union Chapel app. And through that app, you can check in, you can see upcoming events, you can follow along with the teachings on Sunday morning, and it's also a great place to give. And we just want to say thank you so much for your generosity. You make everything that we do here at Union Chapel possible. Speaking of upcoming events, here in two weeks on August 7th, we have our church picnic, which will be right out here in the backyard. We'll have fun, we'll have food, and we want to encourage you to bring a dessert and your family and your friends and come and enjoy each other, community with one another. And that'll be right after the 1130 service. So we want to encourage you to do that. We'll also be celebrating baptisms that day during that cookout. And if you're interested in getting baptized. Of course, at the beginning of the year, we as a staff and Pastor Greg have been praying that 300 people would be baptized this year, and we are on track to do that. And so if you're interested in taking a next step in your faith journey, we'll be having a baptism interest meeting during the 1130 service right over here in the chapel, and you can sign up or you can just show up, and we'd love to walk you through what it means to be baptized and to take that step of faith. Well, that's all I have for us this morning. Let us pray, and we'll welcome Pastor Jeff to the stage. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We're so thankful to be able to be in a place and a space, to be able to worship you, to be able to praise you, and to be able to receive your love. Lord, I pray that you would be with Pastor Jeff this morning as he brings the words. Would he just be a conduit of what you're doing through him? And it's your name we pray. Amen. Hey Amen. Well, good morning, Union Chapel. How are we doing today? Awesome. It's great to see you guys. Uh, as Pastor Christopher said, my name is Jeff Hughes. I'm the Connections Pastor here. And uh, simply put, what my role is, is helping you connect here as a body and connecting to God. And so if there's anything we can do, um, our Welcome Center is a great point to connect uh, right out here after services. Stop by. We, we would love to chat with you uh, about whatever we can do. Well, we are in part two of a series called Making Happy. Now, I realized we had a major storm hit our city yesterday. There are electrical lines still down in places. There are tree limbs down in places. And here I am about to talk about happiness, right? 
For some of you, no electricity uh, means no coffee. Can I get a witness to that? Anybody out there? We have a coffee shop. You should go now and go quickly. Who's out of electricity still? Anyone? Okay, a few hands. Had a few at the first service as well. Well, they're getting all that restored. Well, what I can tell you is the title of today's message is How Does Happiness Happen? And right off the bat, you might hear that and you might be resistant. Not only because of some things that happened yesterday with this storm and damage that you maybe have to deal with. There may be a whole list of things in your life going on. How does happiness happen? We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 in just a moment, but I'll say this. We are often experts on how happiness doesn't happen, aren't we? I mean, I could give you my list, right? You could talk to your spouse after the service and they could say, yeah, these are the areas where happiness is not happening. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 in just a few minutes, but let me say this. All kinds of research is out there about how to be happy. It ranges from the uh, positive psychology movement, which is a study, uh, all the way to Harvard University's number one class. And I didn't know this going into the research for this message, but it is a course on the science of happiness. So it's a number one course at Harvard University. Uh, People want to learn the science behind happiness. Uh, Can we agree that maybe we have a happiness issue? We want more of it. There's a lot of research out there about how to get it. And a lot of times we're looking in the wrong places for it. Maybe you would agree with me that as a culture, maybe not you specifically, but as a culture, we find ourselves a, a little bit obsessed with happiness sometimes. Think about it for just a minute. Oftentimes the careers that we choose, we pick because it's something that makes us what? Makes us happy, all right? The relationships that we get into, hopefully, it's because that relationship is one that makes you happy. Oftentimes, if there's enough happiness, that leads to marriage, right? Uh, For many, the primary reason that you are here in church or in a relationship with Jesus Christ is because of the happiness factor. Uh, When you walked in this morning, you were probably greeted by some people who were happy had a smile on their face. We're glad that you uh, are here. And for many, the primary reason that we even have a relationship with Jesus and it's initiated is because of this, this feeling it often starts or a need. But it's impossible for us to think about ourselves and not think about happiness, right? In fact, if we were honest, we might admit this morning that we often gravitate to temporary happiness, right? These temporary things, the immediate gratification in our life. In Luke chapter 6, verse 20, this is Jesus' first sermon. It's his first sermon, and, and if he titled it, he could title it this, How to Be Happy. Now, how many of you would like to hear how to be happy from the words of Jesus this morning? It might be good, might be encouraging to us, it could be a helpful thing. I want you to look at Luke chapter 6. I want to invite you to stand to your feet to honor God's word as we do here every week at Union Chapel. We're going to look at verses 20 to 22 and then also 36 to 38. This is verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, 
when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Uh, Can we just stop right there? There's not a whole lot of encouragement going on just yet. Uh, we're kind of struggling on the, on, on the liftful, uh, our spirits there in that, that place. Let's look at verse 36. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. In verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So not a lot of encouragement there, if we can just be honest. The things in Jesus' message, how to be happy, are actually defined in the churchy word, if you will, as the Beatitudes. They all start with, blessed are these people. And in the New Testament, where we find the book of Luke... It's originally written in Greek, and if you do a word study on this, you'll see that the word uh, here is makarios, which is translated happy or envied. The Strong's uh, Bible study materials define it as supremely blessed or, or fortunate. And in this message, Jesus leans into a common lie. And, and I want us to get it because perhaps you're here today And you have been believing this lie in the same way that I've believed it sometimes in my life. And here it is. It's this. The lie that my feelings, how I feel, will determine how to be supremely happy. In our our culture today, we often think that feelings determine happiness. And I know a lot of people who have been led astray because they've trusted their feelings more than they've trusted God's truth or a mentor, or the voices around them who have sound counsel. And I just want to encourage you right now that if you choose happiness and you choose your direction of life based off what feels good, it's just a matter of time before that train derails. And I don't want that for you. So how does Jesus describe happiness? What does he say? He says this, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the hungry, for they will be satisfied and those who, who mourn, blessed are those who, who are hated. All right, let's stop. Come on now. This doesn't sound like the 2022 American version of happiness, does it? Not at all for me. It's quite possible that we need to redefine our measure of happiness. I mean, right before us. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is a title maybe you're familiar with from Luke chapter 6, everything that Jesus says about the people who are happy is the complete opposite of what we would probably consider happiness right here today. We need to redefine our measure. And perhaps the the first point that I want to share with you could be a new standard of measurement for us. And here it is. We'll put it up on the screen. It's this, true happiness happens when I realize that God is more concerned with my holiness than he is my happiness. Now, friends, that might not be real comfortable this morning, 
because you might have hoped that I would give you a, a three-point list of ways to uh, achieve quick and easy happiness and you could head on out for the rest of your day, but you just heard me say that God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. And for some of us, we go, that's a problem. That is a problem. We've got to make sure we're pursuing the right thing. And the right thing is ultimately finding our joy, finding our strength, finding our hope and our sense of purpose and calling in Jesus and in holiness. So God is more concerned with holiness than happiness. But if we just moved on and acted like that wasn't just a bombshell dropped into our lap on a Sunday morning without some practical tips, I would not be uh, doing this message and doing you a good service. Let me give you two ways to increase your holiness. Now, there's a lot We could do a 10-week series on ways to increase holiness in your life. And perhaps you want to study that. We've got to ask the question, instead of what will make me happy, we should ask ourselves and live our lives by other questions. We've got to take the focus off of ourself. Let me ask you this. What would happen if you thought about this week and even what's going on tomorrow? And you ask yourself this question, what would make God happy? Not what would make me the most money or what would be the most relaxing or anything else. But you ask a new standard of measurement through these questions, starting with what will make God happy? What will make Jesus Christ smile upon my life? I challenge you. I dare you, start tomorrow morning or start right now even. And in your heart, say, what would make Jesus smile upon my life? What would make him filled with happiness? Instead of me focused, it's focused on Jesus. What would increase the measure of holiness in my life? And if it happens to bring happiness, great. If not, no big deal. Maybe instead of the boys or girls or well done at the office or on the sports complex, what if we lived our lives in such a way to hear these phrases said by our creator? Now your employer or those relationships that you have that are meaningful where people provide that encouragement, that go get them, well done. Those may be significant relationships, but they pale in comparison to hearing your creator say that about you. Wouldn't you agree? Nod your head if you agree with that. What if we could hear in our heart and our mind, God, our creator saying something, well done. Good job today, son. You pursued holiness over happiness. You pursued the things that really matter. Your character of heart and your life resembled holiness. Again, if happiness comes with it, great. It's an add-on. But we've got to take the focus off of ourself and put it fully on God where it belongs. That's the first step toward holiness. Here's the second tip I would give you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that there's a difference in hearing and listening. Listening involves application. 
It involves hearing what is said and actually do it. When I ask my son to take out the trash and he does not do it, he merely hears me. When I ask my son to take out the trash and he gets up, grabs the trash and takes it out, he is listening to me and he is obeying me more than just hearing me. I see some parents side-eyeing their kids in the room right now. I don't know what's going on with y'all. We've got to listen. We've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. And what that means is yielding ourselves, surrendering control. Oh, we love control, don't we? Oh, we love control. We've got to surrender control to the person of Jesus Christ and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit that will fill us. The Holy Spirit is, is the way you plug in to God. You listen and say, God, lead me. Speak to me today with the power of your Holy Spirit. Again, that's another challenge for you. Maybe tomorrow morning you need to start your day. You're driving to the office and say, God, I want to hear you. I want to hear your Holy Spirit. And I commit something. When you speak to me, I commit to do it. Can I just tell you that if you say I'll do it before you know what it is, it actually makes it a little bit easier. At least you're reminded that you committed to do it in that moment. And I've been there. You say, God, I want to listen to you. Speak to me. When God is invited to speak to his people, he does not withhold his voice. And we've got to listen, not just hear. We've got to give up control. We've got to surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit, which may sound terrifying in all honesty. But it's a great step towards pursuing holiness. Your creator God is more concerned with holiness than your happiness. And you increase in that way by taking the focus off yourself, putting it on God and others, and listening and committing to obey what you hear the Holy Spirit of God tell you to do. You'll increase in holiness in that way. Here's the second point of this message today. True happiness happens when I live open-handed and generous life. When I live an open-handed and generous life, this illustrates a, a critical principle Jesus does in Luke 6.38. We read it a moment ago, but I want you to hear it again. Luke 6.38 says this, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure... So we're already starting off with a good measure. We're not withholding. It's a good measure. And then after that, it's pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, in Luke 6.38, what Jesus is doing is he is telling a story, and he's giving an illustration similar to if I talk to you about what traffic is like on McGalliard Road at noon at lunchtime uh, when Ball State is in session and the city is packed with people. Can you get that picture? It's busy. It's hectic. And so Jesus is telling this story, only there was no McGalliard Road, rush hour at noon, there were no cars. And he's, he's sharing an illustration with something that they would easily connect to. And that was the story of a market. So in the marketplace in this time, you would have a dirt road, a dirt area, a path, if you will. To your right and to your left, you would have little shops set up just one after another that oftentimes would have all kinds of, of goods and products for you to purchase. 
Maybe if you've traveled around the world, you've seen some of these before. I personally have walked through some of these shops and talked with people and, and bought some things on different trips that I've traveled on. And Jesus is saying, he's saying that in this scenario that a good measure will be given. So picture this. It's, it's like a container that would be brought to the salesperson in this booth, and they need grain. And so there's no weights and measures in this time. There's no prepackaged, buy this, it's $2.99. There's none of that. There's just goods sitting out, and you bring your own container. So a person shows up, they got their container, it's filled. And then at that point, you would say, okay, it's filled, I'm good. Oh, no, no, no. Because what this verse talks about is it's filled to good measure, which means it's filled and it's packed. And then at that point, it, the container is shaken. Now, what happens if you shake a container and it has sugar or it has, has rice or it has some sort of a grain in it? It's going to compress. It's going to make more room, isn't it? What did the market person do again at that point? Filled it again, overflowing. Now, I just love the visual of this, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And that alone would have been phenomenal illustration in our minds of a marketplace, right? But then this phrase is dropped by Jesus. It will be poured into your lap. So I was a little confused in studying this because I felt like the story had already been, oh, wait, there's more. Oh, wait, there's more. It's shaken down. It's pressed together. It's overflowing. And so I wanted to dive into this poured into your lap. I mean, what is that about? And so as I looked into this, which became one of my favorite parts, it refers to the fold in a garment. So think about your pockets. Everybody look at your pockets right now. You see that fold right there? What this story is being used by Jesus to illustrate is that the salesperson will then, after doing all this filling of the container, fill the pockets of the person. They're like, give me your pocket. Let me put more grain. Let me put more sugar in there. And they're not trying to make a major sale. They're trying to do what Jesus illustrates here, which is be generous. Live open-handed, not with a clenched fist. Jesus' challenge to us from this text is to follow his example all of us know Jesus didn't just tell stories about extravagant generosity, did he? He lived it. All the way to going to the cross, extravagant generosity describes and defines the very life of Jesus Christ. And he challenges us to be extravagant, over the top, to be generous, to live open-handed, now, what I'm about to share with you may sound very opposite to what you believe or maybe even what you've heard, but I want to share a thought with you. Some of the most open-handed and generous people that I know are also the happiest people. When I think about my life growing up in, in West Texas and also living here in central Indiana for the second half of my life, this idea when I see people who live open-handed, generous, just extravagantly generous, I see a correlation to their happiness. Now, friends, let me, let me make sure you heard that clearly. 
if you heard me say the richest people are the happiest people, you misunderstood. Because what I'm talking about is living open-handed with what you have, living generous with what you have. You see, the problem in going through life with a clenched fist, clenched fist, when I do this and I talk about a clenched fist, I just want to do this to just pull it close. The problem with living with a clenched fist, holding everything close, is that while nothing can get out of your hands, nothing can get into it either. Perhaps God wants to bless you. Perhaps someone else wants to bless you, but it needs to begin by you opening up your clenched fist and living generous with what you have because we see in this text that the measure that you use will be measured with you. Happiness happens when you live an open-handed and generous life. I want to look at Luke 6.38 from a figurative approach for just a moment. So it says, for the measure you use, it will be measured with you. So let let me pose an experiment for us. Choose a day this week. And go through that day, and everywhere you go, just smile at people. And just be joyful. Be cheerful, be happy, be joyful to them. Go through that entire day that way, and write down on a piece of paper what kind of reactions you had from other people when you brought a joyful spirit, a smile, a kind heart, cheerfulness. And then on the next day, I want you to go through life, and I want you to just start from the very beginning of your day and just decide that you're just going to be angry. I want you to scowl at everybody. If you're feeling just super rebellious, flip the bird a couple times. No, don't do that. What do you think will happen? The measure you use will be measured back to you. I mean, do we get it now? Do we see it? Because this This is instruction on how to live like right now. So many times people have conversations with me and they want the Bible to apply to their life. Can you make the Bible apply to my life? It doesn't get any more real than this. Like how you wake up tomorrow morning, how you spend your afternoon today, how you live your life. If we will apply this principle, it will change our lives. This reminds me of one of my favorite Verses from Galatians that talks about what we, what we reap, we will also sow. So from a farming agronomy context, what you plant, you will harvest. So if you planted tomatoes in your garden plot in your backyard, don't expect to go out there tomorrow and pick corn. What you plant, you will harvest. The measure you use will be given to you. So you smile, more people are going to smile. You bring kindness, people are going to return that with kindness. You're loving in in most cases, people will be loving back to you. But if you're rude, right back at you. If you're short with others, right back at you. I think what Jesus is talking about here is even more significant than this line of thinking. So if we look at Luke 6.38, And we read that literally, for the measure you use will be measured to you. We can hear this. The measure I give determines the measure I receive. 
Now, I raided our kitchen and brought some illustration props this morning. I hope you're okay with that. This is a teaspoon. It's small. It's minimal. You're not going to get much out of that. But if you were to think about this teaspoon and say, I'm going to bring a teaspoon of encouragement into somebody's life, and you scooped a teaspoon of encouragement and dumped it into somebody's life, what should you expect in return? A teaspoon. If we get this principle, if we understand that the measure I give determines the measure I receive from Luke 6, if you bring a teaspoon of encouragement, don't expect to get a gallon in return. So where in your life do you need to change the measurements of what you're bringing into the situation because what you want to receive from it? Now, pure motives are critical here. They are. So, but think through your life of what you bring into someone's, someone else and think about what you're receiving. Remember, true happiness happens when we live an open-handed and generous life. And we don't want to limit ourselves by what we give, the compliments we give. We don't want to limit ourselves in those things. So question for you. When, when you think about your view towards living this way, this is your view of measuring this way. What measurement describes your life? So again, back on the table behind me, I've got a variety of measurement instruments. But when you think about your view towards living open-handed and generous, what measure describes your life? Do you kind of do it sometimes, minimally? Sometimes I give, occasionally. Sometimes I'll serve if I'm really, really, really begged, begged and bothered and begged and bothered. Maybe I'll serve just a little bit. What describes your view of living an open-handed and generous life. Some of us go, okay, yeah, all right, I'm here. I'm I'm, I'm the four cup. I'm not the teaspoon, all right? I I help out a little bit around the house and in the workplace. I'm not the last one to go uh, refill the copier with paper or whatever it may be. You help a little bit. What measure of your life describes the open-handedness? Your generosity in your life will return to you. You know, of course, we don't measure these things through measuring cups, do we? We measure them through our heart. The position of our heart, if it's, if it's generous, if it's open, if it's closed off, that's how we measure these things. And what we give is what we can receive. I think about serve week. So about a month ago, we had Serve Week. And if you're newer to our church or if you're watching online, by the way, I met someone last week, watches online from Florida every single week, and they're never here physically, but they're part of our church campus. And so we love that opportunity to connect with people who are out of state in that way. About a month ago, we had our annual Serve Week. We had over 500 people, children, youth, adults, going out, give, 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 serving, If you're not familiar with it, it's a week of going out, blessing people. We paint houses, dig trenches, replace fences, pull weeds, clean uh, toilets, shovel rocks, clear trees, sort food. We build decks. We paint things. I'm tired. That's a long list. All kinds of stuff. We spend all day going out doing things, helping people. And then we come back and we worship God. We give thanks for the day. And God fills us with his presence and I am convinced that, that the, because of the way we've gone out and blessed other people, 
taking the focus off ourselves and put it on others, I think that there's a correlation between God's touch upon those who participate in serve as well. We see extravagant things happen. If you weren't here, we baptized 30 people that Sunday. Many gave their life to Jesus during that week. And so what you see is this principle. Now, we didn't do it selfishly. We went out, we served, we loved, we gave. Our teams did a a great job, but God touched and changed and impacted our lives in the direct measure that we gave to other people. We poured out all we had. And guess what? Guess what God gave? He filled us all he has. Now, God will not withhold from us. If you seek him and you ask him to meet you where you are, he will do that. So don't hear that in this message. But remember, true happiness happens when you live an open-handed and generous life. So let me ask you this. Is your life more described by clenched and closed or generous and extravagant in your giving, in the way you share with other people, in your attitudes towards helping a neighbor who needs it? I believe the answer to that will determine your happiness because true happiness is found in living an open-handed and generous life with others. Here's the third point this morning. True happiness happens when I understand the measure of God's love for me. The measure of God's love for me. I want to tell you the number one reason that I believe people walk away from the church. And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about church in general. Why people walk away from the church, why they leave the faith, why they disconnect from Jesus and say, I'm done with it. You know, this is kind of a phenomenon that's happening. And in, in my just practical research of conversations with people that I'll run into at a fast food restaurant or at the grocery store or pumping gas, you know, a, a, a side effect of doing 180, our ministry for 20 years when we had thousands and thousands of teenagers is now they're all young adults in our community and they're adults in our community. And so a lot of people will recognize me and strike up a conversation about 180 or church which then gives me an opportunity to say, hey, so about that, um, just curious if you're attending anywhere or if you would like to join us. Oftentimes I'll give them an invitation card, which I just so happen to carry quite often. Um, And in that moment, a conversation will happen. And usually they'll describe a disappointment that they've had. And most of the time, it's not even a disappointment with the people in the particular church, but it's a disappointment with God. A feeling of feeling let down, abandoned, betrayed. A feeling of being disconnected from the love of God. Maybe knowing in our head that it's there. Yeah, God loves those other people, those good people, but no, not me, right? For 20 years, this is what's been described to me of why people disconnect with Jesus. And perhaps you're in the room and and you're here right now and you're actually feeling a little disconnected with Jesus and the church and the faith right now. And maybe this will will provide a little bit of encouragement to you if you'll hang with this. Uh, But oftentimes, this feeling of God's love feeling for other people and not for us and disappointed by God is why we just say enough and just push it away. 
Now, I want you to set that story right here for a second. And I want to show you something that is in the Bible that is often confused. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, there's a verse, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a verse that is on many, many t-shirts, mugs, wall hangings, and all kinds of Christianese uh, in our homes and our communities. It's been a common thing for years. And it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, you hear that and you go, Oh, isn't that sweet? We feel encouraged when we hear that. We feel like it's a right now. Here it is. But here's the problem with reading that verse that way. If you back up just one verse before that, Jeremiah 29, 10, which, by the way, is not on coffee mugs or wall art or Christian T-shirts, here's what it says. This is what the Lord says. This is the words. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then verse 11 drops, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to, uh, to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And so uh, the false prophets at the time would kind of taunt people. Oh, your God can't show up. Oh, your God can't do anything. Why doesn't your God do something right now? But here's the thing. Jeremiah knew something. He knew that it was promised in 70 years, what the Lord says when 70 years are completed. Now, I don't know about you guys. I don't want to wait 70 years. I don't want to wait seven minutes sometimes. In our lives, we often want not only to control the plan, but we want it and we want it now. Anybody else? Just me? Okay, good. Thank you. This is therapy for me. I appreciate you raising your hand. Oftentimes, we want to not only know the plans, to make the plans, to get God's stamp of approval on it, but for it to be a done deal. And when I walk out that door at the end of this service, thumbs up, it's all good. And so oftentimes, when we know the plans that we have for ourselves, they're not exactly what God has laid out. Or they're not exactly in line with the timeline that God has. You know, sometimes it's just a not yet Sometimes it's a yes, but not yet. And sometimes it's totally different. But in our lives, we've got to realize that we can't expect or want God to follow our plans to create this happy life. We instead have to be in tune with what God wants because God's timetable does not always line up with our plans. But here's something that I know for a fact. I've experienced it in my life. I've seen it in many of your lives as well. You can cling to this. You can write it down. You can hold on to it. And here it is. If it's not good, God's not done. Hold on to that. If what you're experiencing is not good, then God is not done. God is working. You are in the 70 years that we see from Jeremiah 29, 10. But you're wanting to live in a Jeremiah 29, 11. And not next week, but right now. So if we can hold on to this, I think it'll really impact our lives in a critical way. Let me tell you something that will change your life if you fully understand it. True happiness 
comes in fully understanding the measure of God's love for you. Fully understanding the measure of God's love for you. I want you to hear Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. Here's what it says. And I pray that you, this is you, you, so put your name in here. I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. Now, what are we going to grasp? Here it is. Listen close. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ? Now, who is this for? It's for you. When we hear something like this, we often want to say it's for somebody else. It's for my neighbor. It's for my friend. It's for my spouse. It's for the people who uh, work at Union Chapel. This is for you. It's a prayer that you would grasp how wide, long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ. That you may be filled into the measure, there's that word again, filled into the measure of all the fullness of God. That's my prayer for us. That we would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. When we understand how much God loves us, when we understand the measure of God's love, grace, and mercy for us, it will change the way we live. Because then we, then we act like we're loved, right? Because we are. And so it changes things about our life because we're loved. We might have a rough day. We might uh, hit our thumb with a hammer, but we're loved. So how do you measure it? How do you measure God's love. There's some in the room right now, you would say this teaspoon could be the only amount of love that God would have for me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. There's no way God could love me more than that. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. We've got to understand the measurement of God's love. We've got to see that the measure of God's love is bigger than what we believe. We've got to expand our measurement. So you think about the, the four cup measuring bowl that I stole from my kitchen today. Uh, it's bigger than this. It's bigger than this. How about the gallon? Falls short, still falls short. What about this? This, this is a six gallon bucket. And if, if this six-gallon bucket was full of water right now, and I invited a volunteer to come stand right here in front of me, and I just poured out the contents of the water inside this six-gallon bucket, you would be fully wet. You would be drenched. There's not a part of you that would not experience the fullness of this bucket being full of water. You could not escape it. Because everything in it would cover and be poured out of everything about you and you would be soaked. And that's how it is with God's love for us. When we encounter it fully, there's not one part of our life that, that escapes it. I mean, think about that. If I drenched you with that, you would just be covered. You would be soaked. There's not one part of our life that escapes the love. Even that part, friend. Even that part. Even the one that you're like, uh, you know what, 99.5 of my life has got to be good because there's this 0.5, it's mine, I'm not letting go. There's no way God would love me if he knew that part. No, 
God loves 100% of you with 100% of him. Bring it on. A right measure of God's love will change everything, and there's nothing in your life that can fully escape it. It impacts your marriage, your friendships, your life decisions, and everything. But here's the problem. These measuring units that I have here, they still seem to fall short. What if, what if no matter the circumstance of your life, uh, what, what if no matter the level of happiness that you're experiencing right now, maybe, maybe you're the guy in the room that says the teaspoon is all that God could love me, or maybe you say, oh man, the six-gallon bucket, that, that's me. No matter what, what if the measure of God's love for you was more like this? falls 5.5 billion gallons of water an hour flow over the falls over 681,000 gallons of water fall just over the horseshoe falls every second you're drenched another 75,000 gallons flow over another section totaling three quarter of a million gallons of water flowing over the entirety of Niagara Falls get this get this every second of the day Maybe you need three quarters of a million gallons. That's a lot. You know what? Even that falls short of the measure of God's love for you. So today, whatever your measurement is of God's love for you, increase your measure. Because this is an illustration of God's love for you. Especially in those moments when you feel let down May you realize that God loves you unconditionally and uncontrollably. And he wants you to experience the full measure of his love for you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, and then the pockets full. May you experience that today. I want you to hear Ephesians 3.18 again. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you know this love? You can't contain it. All you can do is surrender yourself to it and be flooded by it. It's an extravagant, amazing love and for those in the room today who need to be covered and washed in this love, you need a relationship with Jesus. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I need you. I've not understood a proper measure of the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ, going to the cross. I need you, Jesus. And that's a start. And friends, that will open up the floodgates and begin a relationship with God and you can take steps every single day to grow in holiness, to follow him. So as I close, remember holiness over happiness. Open-handed and generous. And to know the full measure of God's love for you. Those are the ways towards happiness. Will you stand up and pray with me for just a moment? Jesus, thank you for this time today where we can open your word and see how to make happy happen. 
Lord, remind us every day that you're more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. For those in the room who you have identified steps of things that we need to look at and address in our life towards that point, show us those steps. Give us the grace. Lord, help us to live open-handed and generous lives. Lord, help us to know that you desire for us to make a difference in the lives of the people we encounter every single day. And in doing so, you fill us. Lord, lastly, I pray that every person within the sound of my voice, watching online and in the room, in this building, would understand the full measure of the love of God. Lord, fill us fresh with your touch. Flood us with your grace, your mercy, your love. Pour over us with everything you have. We surrender to you. And friend, if you're one in the room right now who needs to reach out to Jesus, just right there in your heart, all you need to say is, Jesus, I love you. Show me your love. He'll meet you right where you are. Your life will forever be changed. Lord, help us to draw near to you and understand how to make happy happen. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Friends, if you've taken an important step with God today, we have a gift for you. It has a Bible in this blue bag. They're available on either side of the stage. Just grab one of these. There's some other resources in there. We want to be helpful to you. As always, stop by our Welcome Center for questions on how to be more involved or join a small group or get connected here at the church. Uh, friends, here's the blessing. I invite you to extend your hands to receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen, amen, amen. Have a great day.